don't know about your Bibles, but if I uh, look at the passage we just read, the very next page is New Testament. Last words of the Old Testament, Malachi 3. God is challenging the people of Israel because they're not giving the full tithe. They're not showing their full commitment to God. They're giving partial tithes. It's one of the few times God says, test me in this. Test God. See if we give, if he will not bless us in many ways. Of course, we know we're blessed in so many ways by God, and we give back to God out of gratitude for his, his many blessings. One of the blessings we've had these last three months, of course, is we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and we actually are going to finish the journey today. Uh, you may be thinking, oh, hallelujah, you know, it's kind of a long sermon. You may wonder, why has it taken us three months to go through three, pa- three chapters of Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? I'll confess to you, it's because I'm slow. And I need the time to, to read and meditate on these rich words of the Sermon on the Mount because they're so rich. They have so much wisdom and direction. And honestly, they, they challenge us as we listen to them closely. Yes, people from all over throughout history have admired the wisdom of the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus challenges us and he encourages us and he gives us direction how God would have us live. And so you may remember we invited everyone to uh, join us in this journey in August, and we asked them to to take one of these bookmarks and read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every day for 30 days, recognizing that as we read the Sermon on the Mount, it begins to shape our thinking and begins to change the way we view the world and ultimately the way we view others as we seek to follow Jesus together. And if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, it it actually begins with a a word of blessing. They're called the Beatitudes. And the first blessing or the first Beatitude is is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, translates that verse, Matthew 5, 3, in the message. He, He says this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. We're blessed when we're at the end of our rope, when we've got nothing left to give, and we're at the end of our rope, and we're desperate for God's help. And as we talked about the kind of people that Jesus was attracting in the first century, that's the kind of people who came to hear the Sermon on the Mount. If you may remember that we looked at Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25 that precede the Sermon on the Mount, and we read these words, and he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. As we talked about several weeks ago or even months ago, Uh, The crowd that was coming to hear Jesus were desperate. They were sick. They had been paralyzed, or maybe perhaps they were even demon-possessed. And this crowd had most likely had already been rejected by the, the synagogue, the religious leaders of their day, because there was a belief that if you were sick or you were paralyzed or you were demon-possessed, it was because God was punishing you for some sin of yours. And so you really weren't welcomed in the synagogue until you had repented or done, done some type of penance. And so anyway, the, the people had been rejected already by the religious elite of their day, and they hear about Jesus, and so they travel miles and miles and miles simply to be touched, to be healed, to be blessed by Jesus. And Jesus sees the, the broken, the sick, the hurting, the demon-possessed, the paralyzed, and he looks at them, and, and he looks at all of us and says, hey, you're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by blessing the crowd that's come to hear him. But then he begins to challenge them, and he challenges all of us as well today. He has a, it's basically a pattern. He says, you've heard it said, and then he'll quote the Old Testament, and then he'll say, but I say to you, for instance, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 21, it says, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said by those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus goes on to, to challenge the crowd and all of us today and says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who, who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, in the first century, most people could look at the Ten Commandments like we can today and say, you know, I, I follow the Ten Commandments. I'm pretty good. I, I've never murdered anyone. I don't commit adultery. You know, I don't steal. I, I try to honor the Sabbath. You know, I don't have any other false gods or idols that I'm making. We, we can look at those Ten Commandments and think, hey, I'm doing pretty good. But that Jesus says, yeah, but what's going on in here? Jesus lets us see in the Sermon on the Mount that it, God's not so concerned with what's happening out here, but, but what's happening within our heart for Jesus goes on to explain that, you know, when we give and when we pray and when we fast, we shouldn't do it like the hypocrites do. The hypocrites give and they, they fast and they pray in order to be seen by others, to, to receive the accolades and adoration of others. But when we pray, when we give, when we fast, we do it for God, to connect with God, to honor God. And then Jesus continues in the Sermon on the Mount and and challenges us and encourages us to be, well, to be heavenly-minded, not simply earthly-minded. When he tells us, uh, you know, that we shouldn't store up treasures here on this earth where moth and rust will destroy, but we should lay up treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys our thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus helps us see that the things of this world will soon pass away, but, but treasures in heaven are, are eternal. And as you may remember, we talked about how do we store up a, a treasure in heaven. Well, anytime we, we give back to the work of God's kingdom, God is able to take what we give and He's able to, to use it and multiply its impact. For instance, you know, Twelve years ago, we had, we had 12 missionaries as a church that we used to sponsor and pray and, and help out financially, but now we have over 50. How does that happen? Well, we made the commitment 12 years ago that we're going to be a tithing church where we always give at least 10% of our operating budget to local and global missions. You can see in our magazine, we have a, a commitment and a, and a goal of, of giving 12% uh, next year to local and global missions. And as we give to help support these missionaries in places like Spain or Ireland or even Iran, God is able to take the money we give and He's able to multiply its impact so that, so that people come to faith in Christ. And that is an eternal treasure. A new disciple, a new follower of Jesus, that's an eternal treasure. Yes, we know that ultimately we are simply stewards of God's stuff. Psalm 24, as we read at the beginning of the service, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All that we have, all that we are, is simply a gift from God, and we are stewards. For God created everything. He created us. And the time that we have on this earth, well, that's up to God. And the treasures that we have, those are gifts from God. And so we want to be good stewards by, by giving back to God in gratitude for all that He's already given to us. 
It was interesting this week, uh, I was, I read this little devotional guide by Timothy Keller, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, and I, I, I read it most days. And on November 3rd, uh, which was Thursday, I, I read, he was making reference to, to Proverbs, Proverbs 22.9, that says, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And then, that's the New American Standard Version of the Bible that he, he uses in this uh, study guide. And then he gives a little commentary, and he writes this, Tim Keller does. We love God with our money when we treat it as His, not ours, and send it out to the things He loves, like the people in countries like Iran and, and Ireland and Spain and, and all over the world who haven't heard the gospel. We give back to God so that He can use it to help others. God originally gave us our own lives, then He gave us His Son's life. The more we give away, the more like God we become, and that is blessed. Now, when this first century crowd was listening to Jesus talk about money and storing up treasures in heaven, they all had the clear understanding from the Old Testament that we were called to give a tithe or 10% of what we make back to the temple or back to God. We find this in the Pentateuch, and we find it as we just saw in Malachi 3 in the last book in the Old Testament. That's clearly the, the standard is 10%. And in Matthew 23, Jesus affirms tithing. But in most of the New Testament, we don't actually see a lot of language about tithing because as we look at the earliest churches, it's revealed to us in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2 and, and also in Acts chapter 4, we see that oftentimes the earliest church gave well above a tithe. In fact, sometimes they gave everything help do the work of God's kingdom. Why was the first century church so generous? I believe it's because some of them heard the final words of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. To see what I'm talking about, please turn in your Red Pew Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. It may be found on page 1032 of your Red Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29 as we finish our journey through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Spirit to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank You for Matthew, the tax collector, a most unlikely disciple of Jesus. But by Your grace, You chose him, Jesus. You invited him to, to follow You. And so, Lord, in faithfulness, he, he put pen to parchment and he wrote down these inspired words that you preached so many years ago on the Sermon on the Mount. And now, Lord, as we, we come to the final words of the Sermon on the Mount, we pray that you might give us insight and understanding to see how we might apply these words to our life today, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your Son's precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. Listen to God's word. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we look at uh, Matthew 7, these final words of of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us a, a parable between two men. One man was wise and built his house on a rock, and another man foolishly built his house on sand. Can you imagine trying to build a house on sand? I mean, if you've ever been to the beach and you've built a sandcastle, you know that while you might be able to firm it up with some water, it might get a little muddy there, but you have to, oh, this is a good little castle, this will stand up. And then what happens? One wave hits your sandcastle and it's gone. It's wiped away. And house building, home building is expensive. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of resources. And if you don't have a firm foundation, then what's going to happen when the storm comes or the wind comes? That foundation's going to move because sand shifts. That's what sand does. Shifting sand, it'll move and the walls will move and eventually the, the house will come crashing down. What kind of fool builds his house on shifting sands? You know, our culture is a lot like shifting sands. Things are always changing in our culture. I remember growing up in Midland, Texas with my sister, uh, about four hours south of here in the 70s and 80s. Anybody remember the 70s and 80s, some of us? Okay, yeah. Many of you. Some of you, you can read about it later in Wikipedia. But in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, we only, I remember specifically, we had these things called blue laws. And blue laws meant that most stores are going to be closed on Sundays. And so the only thing I remember being open on Sundays were, were grocery stores and movie theaters. Everything else was closed. And there was this cultural expectation that you were going to go to worship on Sundays because, well, Sunday was the Lord's day. But things have changed. Most things are open today on Sundays. Our culture, it's shifted. I remember also growing up uh, with Cody Welch in Midland, Texas in the 70s and 80s. Uh, There were really only about four television stations. You had ABC... NBC, CBS, and PBS. Eventually in Midland, we were able to get WGN and TBS. That was kind of fun. You could watch the Cubs or the Braves play. Uh, And then eventually we got ESPN, right? But there just wasn't much on television. But what was on television, for the most part, was pretty safe to watch. I mean, do you guys remember the Brady Bunch? That was kind of a safe show. It was about families. In fact, the most popular sitcoms were about families. The Brady Bunch, Family Ties, The Cosby Show, And even though MASH, which was a a comedy, a a sitcom that was set in the Korean War, and even though it was set in a war, it really wasn't that violent. I mean, yeah, there was a little bit of blood, but most of it was humorous, and it was trying to make a a commentary, trying to comment comment on the dangers of war. But that was a pretty safe show to watch because there wasn't hardly any cursing, hardly ever on television. But today, oh my goodness, we've got so many channels, and the language is, is not good. There's a lot of cursing, and there's a lot more graphic violence on on television today. The culture has shifted. Growing up in Midland, Texas, I also remember that 
you know, in the 70s and 80s, there, there was a, an understanding that it, it wasn't good to be promiscuous. In fact, with the AIDS pandemic, it was greatly discouraged that, that sex should only take place between one man and, and one woman and the covenant bond of marriage and anything else was, was not God's will. In fact, it, it was dangerous. But things have changed. The definition of marriage has changed in our culture today. I remember growing up in the 80s, we had a, a first lady who used to always say, just say no to drugs, right? But now marijuana is legal in so many of the states in our country. Yes, the culture has shifted. It moves like shifting sand. And if you build your life on the, on the, the morals of this culture, you're going to find that your life is constantly shifting. And, and eventually the walls of your home will come crashing down. The walls of your life will come crashing down because it's not stable, our culture. Now, ironically, one thing I can think about that is kind of consistent in our consumerist, materialist culture here in the United States is that we're constantly being told that we should pursue and do everything we can to obtain the idol of money. We're told that if we just have enough money, then we'll be happy and we'll have success and life will be good to us, but we know that's not true. Just ask Bill and Melinda Gates, who had a net worth of $130 billion dollars. They had all that money, couldn't save their marriage. Just ask Steve Jobs, the founder of, of Apple, who had a net worth at his death of $10.2 billion, and all that money couldn't save him from cancer, and he died at the age of 56 of pancreatic cancer. Just ask Robin Williams, who had $50 million when he committed suicide. All that money couldn't keep him happy all the time. Yes, we know that the, the promises of money are empty, that that's not going to lead to ultimate joy and success and peace, will it? Y'all remember what Jesus said about money in the Sermon on the Mount? He, he talks about it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I want to be real clear here. In the Bible, there are a lot of really wealthy people. King Solomon was a very, very wealthy man. King David was a wealthy man. Father Abraham, very wealthy man. There are a lot of wealthy people in the Bible. God doesn't hate money, but God wants us to use money to help do the work of his kingdom. And if we're serving money, well, then we're not serving God. If we're serving money and building our house on the promises of this consumerist culture, ultimately those, those promises are going to prove to be false and empty. And the shifting sands of culture will keep bring our house crashing down. We won't be ready for the storms that this life brings. Notice in our text that storms come for both houses. A storm is coming. We will face inevitable storms in this life. Whether you've built your house on shifting sand or whether you've built your house on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, a storm will come for all of us. After all, three years ago, none of us knew or thought that there would be a, a global pandemic, did we? Three years ago, none of us thought that the inflation rate would be above 8% here in the United States. Three years ago, none of us thought that Russia would go to war with Ukraine. There are things that are going to happen in this life that we can't control, that we're not ready for. Jobs will be lost. 
Diagnoses will be given. Loved ones will die. And our ability to withstand the storms of this life are directly related to what are we building our life on? The eternal, solid rock of Christ Jesus or the shifting sands of culture? You know, I'm grateful that as a church, we know that if we will listen to the words of Jesus and trust the words of Jesus and see to, seek to do the words of Jesus for the mission statement of our church is to discover and live the way of Christ in the expansive grace of God. If we, will, if we will try to do that, well, then we'll be ready for the storms that inevitably come our way. I'm reminded... Uh, by God's grace, these last 12 years, we've been able to have a little bit of an overage at the end of the year, and that means that actual revenue exceeded actual expenses. And what we do when we have that is we give 10% to what we call a contingency account. Then we give 30% to a missions fund, an endowment. We give another 30% to our facility, because this is an old building. And then we give another 30% uh, to the session fund, so it might use for um, unexpected opportunities, like the All Church Retreat has been funded by that fund as well. You may remember that several years ago, we had all these leaks every time it would rain, and it didn't rain a lot, but when it would rain, our, our roof was leaking all over the place. And so we had a roofer go to the top of, the, of our church, and he kind of walked around, and not a single clay tile was broken. We had these thick clay tiles. So you couldn't claim hail damage, but the underlayment underneath the roof had aged out. It was a 25-year underlayment, and it was year 27. We'd gotten all we were going to get out of that. And if you may remember, what happened was we had to replace the underlayment. Well, in order to do that, they had to remove every clay tile on our roof and put in a new 50-year underlayment, so it won't be my problem when it goes out again. <laughs> a 50-year underlayment. And, uh, but to do that, it costs $400,000. Now, where are we going to find $400,000? We were preparing throughout, trying to be good stewards, putting money into this contingency account, putting money in this facilities account so that we were able to pay cash to replace that underlayment. We want to invest in the work of God's kingdom and we want to be good stewards of God's resources to do all that we can to help grow his kingdom. As you look at our budget, you can see that obviously we've got at the very back is the budget and you can see that we're giving 12% to, to missions and 35% to properties and then 39% to ministries and 14% to worship. That's where our priorities are. We want to be a church that's seeking to grow God's kingdom, doing all that we can to help fulfill the, the teachings of Jesus. But as we read these words of Jesus, we can see that he doesn't just want hearers of the word, he wants doers. And it's one thing to hear and understand what the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's very difficult, honestly, to do it. If you'll, if you'll remember, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says this, you, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What? I've always thought that if someone showed up to the Sermon on the Mount and they weren't poor in spirit when they showed up, they were by the time they left, right? Because Jesus says, you've got to be perfect as my heavenly Father was perfect. He tells them, you know, hey, you've heard don't murder, but if you've got anger in your heart, you're guilty. You've heard don't commit adultery, but if you've got lust in your heart, you're guilty. I mean, how are we to live out the Sermon on the Mount? That's impossible. How could we possibly be perfect? There's only one who was perfect, and that was Jesus. But as we continue to read the New Testament, we'll see that the good news is that Jesus, well, he's in us. In Colossians 1.27, Paul writes, 
Christ in you or Christ in all of us is the hope of glory. That when we come to faith in Christ and Jesus Christ and we give our lives to him, then the Holy Spirit comes in our hearts and the Holy Spirit will remind us of all that Jesus taught and did and the Holy Spirit will equip us with different spiritual gifts that we can use for the work of God's kingdom. In fact, in our, uh, our, our pledge card, you'll notice that we're not just asking for people to make a financial commitment. And if you're, again, if you're a guest here today, don't fill this out, unless you feel moved by the Spirit, but this is really for members. But we, we fill out what we want to give financially, but then most importantly, too, we, we write down what ministries we want to be involved in. We want to give our time and our talents to help do the work of God's kingdom. And each one of us have different spiritual gifts and different spiritual abilities that God wants us to use. And he's equipped us and, and he's empowering us to, to do his will here on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we don't want to be just hearers of God's word. We want to be doers. And so how can we do the words of Jesus that we find in the Sermon on the Mount? I think there's three things we've got to do. First, we've got to listen. Second, we've got to trust. And third, we've got to pray. First, we've got to listen. We listen, of course, to God's word and to the words of Jesus today by, by reading his word, meditating on his word, taking our time to listen to all that Jesus says. If you've never read the Bible before, I would actually encourage you to begin in the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest gospel written. It was the first gospel written. It's only 16 chapters. If you read one chapter a day, you'll read the whole thing in 16 days. After you read Mark, then read Matthew, then Luke, then John. As you read through the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see that Jesus, well, he fulfilled what he said he was going to do, that Jesus can be, in fact, trusted. We've got to listen to Jesus. We've got to trust Jesus. How do you know you can trust Jesus? Well, first of all, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see that Jesus regularly tells his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day, I'm going to rise again. That's exactly what happened. And if Jesus is right about that, then he's right about everything else he said. In fact, his resurrection proves to be who he said he was, the Son of God, the great I Am, the Savior of the world. And why did he do this? Because he loves us. Because he loves you and he loves me. And if Jesus loves us so much, as he says in John 15, no greater love is there than this than a man who's willing to die for his friends. If Jesus loves us so much, we should be willing to trust him, knowing that his words are for our good. As we listen to God's word, as we trust him, then we need to pray that he might help us live out his word. Because the truth is, on our own, we can't do the Sermon on the Mount. But he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Christ in us is the hope of glory. If we will turn to Christ and, and pray daily that he might help us live out these words, so that as he writes in Matthew 5, 16, <clears throat> that others will see our good deeds and give praises to our Father in heaven, then, then we will be the kind of people who demonstrate what it means to follow Jesus, to have him as Lord of our life. As we build our house on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, the eternal rock of Christ Jesus, so that when the storms come, a layoff happens, or a loved one dies, or the economic uncertainty fills the world, we won't be anxious because we know the one who controls it all, the one who controls our life, the one who created us all, and the one who proves to be with us 
and for us in Jesus Christ. Please join me as we pray now. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that as we turn to your sermon on the mount, you offer words of blessing, words of encouragement, and words of challenge. And Lord, we don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. So God, we, we pray that every day we would take time to listen to you by reading your words as we find them in the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. That we wouldn't just listen, Lord, but we would trust knowing that you're the God who loves us so much that you gave us your son. And so we know you have our best in mind, that we can trust your word and take you at your word. But Lord, we know we can't do your word on our, our own. We need your Holy Spirit to guide us. So Lord, we pray every day that you'd help us to live out the words of the Sermon on the Mount so that others will see our good deeds and give praises to you, our Father who's in heaven. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son who is the Christ and all God's people said, amen.